0: Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Welcome to our very special Christmas episode. It is a special Christmas episode. It's on a different day. It's not a Friday. Yes, that's (laughs) what makes it extra special. Right, right, right. And I'm going to tell a story about Christmas when I was 13 years old. And there might even be a little bit of Christmas music. There might be. You know there's going to be. (laughs) (laughs) So this story is a little more serious than some of the stories I tell. But this one's true, and I did a lot of growing up during this story.
1: And it's a story about family and how family takes care of each other, which is a lovely Christmas theme.
0: Wow, it's starting to sound like Little House on the Prairie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite books growing up. There you go. So here it is Christmas 1972.
0: I was 13 in 1972, and about a week before Christmas, we got the worst ice storm on the farm I had ever seen in my life. Matter of fact, it's the worst ice storm I've still ever seen. It kind of rained and missed all night long, and then in the morning when we got up, everything was covered with a thick layer of ice. I mean, it was really bad. The bushes in front of the house were smashed to the ground. Great big limbs had been torn out of trees. And the power lines got so covered with ice that they broke off poles. And when one pole would break, then they'd be like dominoes, and they would go down for miles. It's the kind of thing that you'd want to see, but you wouldn't want to be standing close by when it happened. Now, to our parents, this was pretty much a nightmare. I mean, how do you keep the house warm with no electricity and feed kids and all the business of life with no electricity? But to us kids, oh, it was great. We went outside with our ice skates, and we could skate anywhere on the farm we wanted to. The pad of concrete where we parked the car was our figure skating rink. Our driveway, which was about a quarter of a mile long, was gravel, but you could skate on it, too. We used that for our our speed skating events. You could even skate out in the pasture on the cattle path that led down to the pond, and the pond was so perfect, it was like it had been groomed with a Zamboni for an NFL hockey game. You could skate anywhere on the farm except the yard. You didn't want to skate in the grass too much because every blade of grass had a little finger of ice sticking up. Oh, we tried skating in the yard, but you'd have to dodge the fingers of ice, and then you'd finally hit one and you'd go down hard, man. That's when we started calling them the fingers of death. Now, the Rural Electric Power Company was working hard to get the power back on, and they would do some work, and then the power would come on, and the lights would flicker to life. And immediately, Dad would run down and light the furnace so we'd have heat until the power would go back off again. Well, that's what happened at my Uncle Fred's house that night. The power came back on, he saw the lights in the hallway flicker on, and he went downstairs to light the furnace. But what he didn't realize is that the thermocouple on the furnace had failed. Now, if you don't know what a thermocouple is, it is a little device that turns off the flow of gas when the furnace is not working. Well, it had not turned off, and the basement had been filling with gas for days. So when Uncle Fred lit that match, it was the match that turned his world upside down. The explosion was so intense it picked the house up off the foundation and it came slamming back down at an angle into the basement. Upstairs, right above him, Aunt Dolores was still in bed but she was unconscious with a broken arm. A dresser had flown across the room and landed on top of her. Upstairs, my cousins Cindy, Sherry, and Randy were okay. They were shook up but not injured. In the basement, Uncle Fred had been burnt over 90% of his body with third-degree burns, and the explosion had blown the skin off the bottom of his feet. But somehow he was still alive and conscious. With the house ablaze all around him, he managed to climb what was left of the basement stairs and run barefoot across the lawn, across the fingers of death, to the propane tank to shut off the gas. He climbed into the window of his bedroom, dragged the dresser off Aunt Dolores and carried her to the car. He rounded up the kids and drove to the neighbor's house who took them all to Passavent Hospital while their house burned in the background. That week before Christmas, Dad would get up before dawn to do his chores so he could spend all day at the hospital with Uncle Fred. He had eight brothers and sisters, but Uncle Fred was the sibling he was closest to. He didn't want to leave Uncle Fred alone. But Christmas Day, he decided he would stay home with us and we could have Christmas together. When we got up Christmas morning, we ran downstairs ready to rip open our gifts with the true spirit of Christmas in our hearts. But Dad was gone. Mom brought us in the kitchen and said that Uncle Fred had gotten worse during the night, so Dad went to be with him. Christmas is going to have to wait until he gets home. And then Mom pulled me aside and she said, Dad didn't have time to do the chores before he left. He said you could handle it. Well, I wasn't too sure about that. Dad's chores normally took him a couple hours, but it could take me all morning by myself in the bitter cold and with all that ice. Yeah, that ice wasn't as fun as it was yesterday. I put on layer and layer of warm clothes, all the way from long underwear on the inside to coveralls on the outside. In a couple hours, I'd gotten the cattle fed, made sure the water troughs were not frozen, carried fresh straw out to bed the sows, I melt the cow, and finally I was heading back to the house. But when I passed by the barn, I heard sounds coming out from under it, sounds of an animal struggling. There was a broken place in the foundation where something had crawled under there. I lowered myself under the edge of the barn, and with my eyes eventually adjusted to the darkness, I could see that a big white sow had crawled under the barn to get out of the cold. She had crawled up far enough to get underneath one of the huge timbers that were the floor joists, and then she couldn't get back past it to come out. The only escape for her was to back out, and that wasn't going to be easy. You see, hogs don't like to go where they can't see, and the area where she was trapped was too tight for her to turn around. I thought, you know what, I'll grab her by the back legs and just pull her out. Well, she weighed in about 400 pounds, and at that point I think I weighed 90 pounds. We were not in the same weight class. I grabbed hold of her back feet and pulled with all my might. She didn't even budge. So I gave up and I sat on the ground outside the barn and pondered my situation. Now, I couldn't just wait until Dad got home. I didn't know how long that would take and that Sal could freeze to death by then. Besides, I thought, you know what, Dad left me in charge. This is not his problem, it's mine. I got to figure it out. I crawled back under the barn further to get a better look. I realized my only good option was to crawl past her and get in front of her and then try pushing her out. You know, I thought if I'm in front of her, maybe she'll be more likely to go backwards. Okay, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I started by talking to her. I figured I'd better get her calmed down before I try and crawl past her. I mean, if she got too scared and started flailing around, I could get crushed under there. So as I laid there on the chilly ground, I put my hand on her, and I could feel how cold her skin was. I could see that her back was bloody and raw. She'd been under there for a long time. I laid on the ground underneath the barn and talked to my sow. I guess it was a bit of a hog whisperer that day, because after a few minutes her breathing slowed and she seemed less agitated. I slid past her under the barn until I had my whole body in front of hers. I put my back against the timber behind me and put my feet on her shoulders. I took a big breath and I pushed with all my might. She slid backward several inches, but as soon as her raw back hit that timber, she shot forward toward me. At that point, I was pretty glad I was so much smaller than her. She couldn't get under the barn as far as me. I kept pushing, but instead of backing up, she was slowly inching forward. If she managed to work her way farther into the barn, I knew she'd never get out, and I might be trapped, too. Okay, this was not the time to be the hog whisperer. No, I wasn't going to try and calm her down or reason with her. I started screaming at the top of my lungs. And suddenly, her fear of backing up into the unknown was less than her fear of the little madman in front of her, and for the first time she pressed backwards. She kept moving until she hit the timber with her back, but before she could react to the pain and lunge forward, I turned the volume up and gave one more mighty push. She shot out from under that barn like a 400-pound cork from a huge champagne bottle, and I came rolling out behind her. We both lay on the ground to catch our breath. Well, it didn't feel so cold anymore. I unzipped my coveralls and let some of that winter air come in and cool me down. We both just laid there for a bit, and I remember thinking, boy, if my mom looked out and saw us right now, she'd think, well, there's Rick and a sow dead out in the lot. I expected the sow to jump up after a couple minutes and run away, but she just laid there on her side, breathing hard. This was not a good sign. If I didn't get her moving, she was going to go into shock. I rocked her back and forth until she got her feet underneath her, and then I helped her stand up and held onto her tail to guide her into the barn. I made a bed of straw and put some food and water nearby. She was comfortable and warm, so I headed to the house. I'd finished my morning chores, but it was afternoon. As a matter of fact, the evening shadows were coming in. I could hardly wait for Dad to get home that night so I could tell him my story. When I saw his headlights coming up the driveway, I positioned myself by the front door because I couldn't wait to tell Dad about my day. I mean, he trusted me to run the farm, and I'd done it, and I had saved the life of a sow. Dad sat down, took off his shoes, and then listened to my story from beginning to end. My dad isn't the kind of guy who goes on and on about things, but he looked me in the eye and said, Well, I knew you could handle things here. I felt so grown up. I felt like a man, just like that. It was like a bucolic bar mitzvah. Mom came into the room. She said, How's Uncle Fred doing? My dad said quietly, We lost him today. Mom started to cry. I wasn't surprised because Mom cried at everything. She cried at Pampers commercials. But then I noticed my dad was crying. I'd never seen my dad cry before. I didn't know he could. I knew if I stayed there any longer, I'd be crying too. So I said, I'm going to go check on my sow." A couple minutes later, I was all bundled up in my winter clothes, walking across the hog lot, with tears rolling down my cheeks, freezing on my coveralls. I didn't feel like a man anymore. I felt like a little boy. I went out to the barn, opened the door. It was quiet in the stall. I was hoping my sow was just resting, but when I turned on my flashlight, I could see I'd lost her too. I didn't know what to do. I turned off the flashlight and sat down in the fresh straw near my sow. What had just happened? Why did my dad sit there and listen to me talk about my day when he was suffering such grief? I mean, this had been one of the hardest days of his life. I sat there in the dark for quite a while trying to figure it out. And I finally realized dad had put his grief on hold for me. He listened to me talk because he knew it was important. I felt different on my return trip through the hog lot back to the house. I had things in perspective now. The day had started like any Christmas morning. Our family together, opening presents, eating a meal, eating too much food. And it ended up with death and sadness. I thought tomorrow morning we would still need to get up and do the chores. We'd still need to feed the cows and bed the hogs, and make sure the ice was broken in the water troughs. In the midst of death, life goes on, my friends. Back in the house, dad was sitting at the kitchen table eating some warmed up hamburger helper. He said, get your brother and sister, come on in here. When we all gathered together, he said, what do you say we celebrate Christmas tomorrow? Looking back over the years, I can't remember many of the gifts I got for Christmas, even though at the time I had to have them, desperately had to have them. I vaguely remember a pocket knife, a BB gun, one year I got a motorcycle. None of those gifts I have anymore. But I clearly remember Christmas 1972 when my dad showed me what it takes to be a man. That gift, I still have.
1: You know what I really love about this story, Rick, is what it says about your father's character. Yeah. He was such a stand-up guy, uh, such a family man. And I think he's passed a lot of those qualities on to you.
0: Well, thank you. I I had a good teacher, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that whole experience for me was a big growing up thing. You know, I'll admit, we would come downstairs on Christmas morning, open gifts, And we weren't thinking about the birth of Christ when we were opening our guests. (laughs) We're thinking, did I get the stuff I wanted?
1: That's the nature of kids. Right,
0: right. But actually, that Christmas was a big turning point. I think it was for all of us. And I want to say that I got my family's permission to tell this story before I wrote it, My, my Aunt Dolores and Uncle Fred's family. And... Part of the reason I think they said it was okay, because it was my version of what happened. It was honestly, that's how I felt, and that's what happened. And I'm sure they would all have their version of what happened,
1: too. Sure. That's true with any big event. Right,
0: Right, right. We loved snow days, though, because, number one, you didn't have to go to school. And on the farm, you'd have to trudge down the lane through the snow and everything. But when you had a snow day, you'd go outside and be in the snow as long as you could stand it, which was worse than going to school. (laughs) No, it wasn't. It was fun. No, I mean, it was worse. If the whole idea was to keep you from
1: being freezing cold in the oh, snow, I see, I we see went out and, and froze our yeah. butts off in the snow anyway. When I was growing up, we lived across the street from a pond, and it was a real place to skate, not just on the grass. <laughs> we, had a, we had a pond, too, oh, though. okay. Yeah especially during winter break i remember my mom being like you're all going skating oh yeah you yeah. know and she would send us out and but it was actually really fun it was the social place where people gathered and it was right across the street from our house but when we were really little yeah. i remember by the time she got the fourth kid all bundled up like, the first kid would have to go to the bathroom oh. or would be hungry. Or, it was like she could never get the us out the door at the same time.
0: Just pee in your snow suit. Go on out. Get out. I remember on the country roads, the snow would drift over the road. And I remember one winter, the snow was so deep, they had this big snow blower that was mounted on a truck that just literally cut a path through the snow oh, wow. and the snow was so high on each side i remember stopping and rolling down the window and writing my name in the snow because it was right outside <laughs> the window which was fun except if you met somebody on the road then somebody had to back up till you got to a driveway oh so you could... they,
1: they didn't make it wide enough for two cars
0: no no oh
1: it was, wow it was uh, it was an interesting project I remember one year we had a big blizzard, and I don't remember what year it was. So this is Chicago suburbs. Yes, right. in, in the Chicago suburbs. And in my memory, we the snow was drifted up so high that we were either jumping off the roof or sliding off the roof.
0: Safety first, huh?
1: Yeah, and when I think about it, I'm not sure if that really happened or if that was just my five-year-old mind thinking of it. But it might have. It was a really
0: big blizzard. Laura? As a storyteller, I would just say that's how it really happened. Yeah. So they tell the story. Yeah,
1: the snow was 100 feet deep.
0: (laughs) I remember in Chicago when I was living there, we had a nice storm and nobody could drive. And I made studded tires for my bicycle. This is when I rode all winter long. Yeah,
1: this is when you were in your twenties, right? Right when
0: yeah. I was when I was when I was stupid and would ride all winter <laughs> long. But I went out on the streets of Chicago with my studded tires on my bike. There was nobody there. I rode around downtown, right around the Sears Tower and stuff. It was great, <laughs> or crazy, or both, or stupid. <laughs> the thing is, out here in LA, some people don't even know what snow days are. Because sure. You never miss school because of bad weather here. If we get like an
1: inch of rain, oh, that's a big deal here.
0: Right. Just a few weeks ago, we got some drizzle, and people were sending pictures. Oh my gosh, look at it! Yeah. It's so it's so bad. Storm watch twenty twenty one. Well, anyway, you look at it, it's Christmas time, and I'm glad to be here. Our girls will be joining us, and we just want to wish everybody a merry Christmas. And we'll come back after the new year. Uh, The next episode will be January 7th. We'll be back on schedule. Right.
1: And then we'll be back to our regular Friday schedule.
0: Right, right. So I guess we'll say happy new year
1: too, right? Yes. So have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. And we hope that you have a chance to be with the people you love and for me after last Christmas being so hard for people to get together mm-hmm. I am extra appreciative of family and friends and the people I love and I hope you are
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>